Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. This is the last chapter in the book of Acts, and I will actually uh, finish with the book of Acts today, but we may come back to it because there's some more things I'd like to add on to it. I don't know if we will or not, but next week we're going to be doing a little mini-series that you'll find out about next week that I'm going to start with a different topic. Uh, But Acts chapter 28 is the last chapter in the book of Acts, and it kind of ends in a strange way because if you were writing a, a... Uh, If you were trying to write the history of the church in the first century, you would not end this book in that way. I mean, nothing in the New Testament tells us about how Paul was uh, killed for the sake of the gospel, how he was executed in Rome by Nero. It doesn't tell us about how Peter was crucified upside down, although there's a prophecy of Jesus that Peter would die like that. But the fulfillment of those things doesn't happen. And that's because the Holy Spirit is actually not writing here through Luke a history of the church of the first century. As I've told you many times, this is the history of our church. The book of Acts is still going on today. The Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the the Apostles, and the book is called Acts because it's about what God is doing in our lives. And so it's a living book, and it ends with, uh, uh, like, like I said, in a way that it just seems like Somebody just cut off the ending, doesn't leave anything else. But that's because you're supposed to fill your names in there. You're supposed to join in with what God is doing in the church today. So Acts chapter 28, uh, the title that I've put for today's message, because we're going to be contrasting two groups of people, okay, in the beginning and then at the end. The title comes from this chapter, The Heart of This People Has Become Dull. The heart of this people has become dull, and we'll get to that as we look at the second group of people. But before we get started, I want to read to you some scriptures, two of them from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, and one from what we call the Apocrypha, the uh, non, uh, the books that are not a part of the canon of the Old Testament, but were widely read and accepted. You know, if you, if you went to a Catholic church, you've got these in your Catholic Bible. So the first one comes from Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, a book that we don't really look at that often, Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3. And it says this, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, yet the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. Just because it seems like God is leaving the guilty unpunished, by the way, there are many psalms that David wrote concerning this. Just because it seems like he's allowing things just to continue on the way they've been continuing on and nobody's getting punished, and it feels like we Christians are the ones getting punished, and why isn't God stopping all this evil in the world? Don't think that that means that God uh, will leave the guilty unpunished, because he will not. But the Lord is slow to anger, and yet he is great in power. Uh, Whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. It tells us that we don't always understand. In fact, we very rarely, in fact, I think we never 
understand everything that God is doing. And so we walk by faith and we trust him. He reveals to us what we need to know. Everything's on a need-to-know basis with God, and we have to trust him. And then Jeremiah chapter 25 and verses 15 and 16 uh, uh, read like this. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, says to me. So Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, is telling me. Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. So the preaching of the prophetic word is a taking of the cup of God's wrath and a causing of the nation to whom the prophet is sent to drink the cup of God's wrath. They will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. And then in 2 Maccabees, and that's the book from the Apocrypha, 2 Maccabees chapter 6, uh, I want to read from verses 12 through 16. This is probably in all of the apocryphal books my favorite little passage to read. There's a lot of great history in those books of what was going on between the Old and the New Testament. And it says there the writer of 2 Maccabees is speaking about the Jewish nation, about the people of God. And it says, I beg you, because he's describing terrible things that are happening, the persecution that they're going through. He says, I beg you not to become discouraged as you read about the terrible things that happened. Consider that this, the terrible things, was the Lord's way of punishing his people, not of destroying them. There is a difference between being punished and being destroyed. How many of you have children you know, that you need to punish, <laughs> okay? And uh, how many of you have grown-up children that you would like to punish, but it's already too late, you know, but you, you'd like to punish them, and you do what you can to discipline them, even when they're grown up, and sometimes you just say no, you know, and that's punishment in, uh, in and of itself, and sometimes you need to give them correction, and you try to find an open door to bring that correction to them. Uh, but no matter how much you've had to punish them or would like to punish them, no matter how far off track they've gotten, you never want to destroy them, do you? It's never about you want to cut them off and you don't love them anymore because that's impossible for a parent to feel. And that's concerning us who are evil parents, uh, as the scriptures say, and we don't understand things even the way God does. So all the more so God never wants to destroy but he does punish. So consider that this was the Lord's way of punishing his people, not of destroying them. Now listen to what he writes further. In fact, it is a sign of kindness to punish a person immediately for his sins rather than to wait a long time. The Lord does not treat us as he does other nations. He waits patiently until they have become deeply involved in sin before he punishes them. But he punishes us before we have sinned too much. So the Lord is always merciful to us, his own people. Although he punishes us with disasters, he never abandons us. So God speaks to Jeremiah and says, you're going to take this cup of my wrath to these nations, and I will send a sword among them, and they will be destroyed. And history tells us over and over again of civilizations, uh, great civilizations, that, that have been destroyed 
great civilizations uh, in which lived great people who thought that their civilization could never be destroyed. And yet they have been destroyed. And yet we still see the Jewish nation, right? And has never been destroyed. And we still see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that has never been destroyed because God punishes us early on. He doesn't allow us to get too deeply involved in sin, and that is his kindness toward us. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, which you know well says, for those, that sums it all up, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That's the nice New American Standard version uh, of the Greek word that means he punishes. It literally, the Greek word means he spanks. Those whom the Lord loves, he punishes, and he scourges, he spanks, scourges every son whom he receives. So don't be discouraged when the Lord is punishing. That's his kindness. Don't be discouraged when the Lord is helping us out to get us back on the right track, when he's opening our eyes to see. When we, Tanya and I had our anniversary last week, and we went on a little trip to California. Yeah, it was great. We had a great time. But I always, I always learn something. I don't know. I love to visit those vineyards in Napa Valley because I learn so much about the Bible from them because, you know, I don't have a vineyard. We have two vines in our garden. We got a little bit of grapes this year, but I don't have a vineyard. And there's so much vineyard talk in the Bible. You know, there's so much agricultural talk in the Bible that if you're not familiar with agriculture, you, you should take every opportunity to learn things just so you can understand the scripture better. And I learned something this time also. So we went on this little you know, tour of this, this vineyard thing, and I met this Italian guy, and he, he's from Italy, you know, not just Italian heritage, but from Italy. His name was Domenico. And Domenico, I guess we just had the favor of God on us or something because he found out that it was our anniversary, and Domenico just wouldn't stop talking to us and showing us his family pictures and asking me if I've ever been trout fishing. He goes, oh, yeah, I love trout fishing. And he goes, here's a picture of me catching a rock. I don't know how to fish. And I said, well, come to Urington. I'll take you trout fishing. We'll have a great time. And, and Domenico is just talking and talking to us, and he got off on the drought just in his talk. And he said, and it just was such a sermon in what he said. I, you know, he said, everybody here is complaining about the drought, the drought, the drought, you know. And he said, our vines, they grow on these hillsides, and we use no irrigation, no irrigation at all. You know, whatever nature gives us, that's what our vines take. And we, you know, that's what we, you know, we have the best grapes, the best wines, all that, you know, he's going into everything. And then, and then Domenico said to me, drought is a blessing for the vines. He said, when there's a drought, we have this volcanic soil. You know, Seth Ralph could go into detail, I'm sure, and explain all this. But, you know, he's talking about the soil, volcanic, and these different things. And that when there's a drought, that the roots of the vines, they have to go down deep to find the water. And it just makes the vine even better and the grapes even better. That the drought is a blessing to the grapes and it brings forth better fruit. Okay, he didn't say more fruit. I don't know for certain it would bring forth more fruit, but he said it brings forth better fruit. And I immediately just thought of, of these things we've been talking about today. It is a kindness of the Lord and a blessing of the Lord to allow us to go through drought seasons, to allow us to go through seasons where we are being disciplined, where we are being punished, where we're even being spanked. Because it means that he really cares about us. None of us spank the neighbor kids, right? You only, 
you know, you only punish your own kids. With neighbor kids, you just say, get out of here, get off my property, you know, because you don't want to have any, it's not your authority. You don't have any authority to do anything with them. But when God loves us, he allows us to go through these, these things. And I was praying after that for our nation, for the United States. And, and I know that there's not going to be any kind of revival in this nation until there's real repentance in this nation, and that that begins in the house of God. And so if God is allowing us to go through seasons of drought, and I don't know how bad this inflation and all this stuff is going to get, but it's bad. It's really bad. And I don't see it getting any better. But instead of complaining all the time, maybe we need to start putting our roots down deeper into, into the Lord and into his word and find some water we can drink because it's going to produce better fruit. Maybe not more fruit. We don't need more fruit. We need better fruit. And, 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 and we don't want to drink the cup of the wine of his wrath. You know, we want to drink the cup of the wine of his new covenant. What, what he has given to us. That's the better fruit that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel is the cup of his wrath. And let the world drink it. You know, fine. But I don't want to drink the cup of his wrath. I want to drink the cup of his New Testament, the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's going to go into what we're going to read here today. Let's start with chapter 28 and verse 1. Okay, I'm just going to read, what I'm going to do today, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. We'll read that together, and we'll talk about it a little bit. When they had been brought safely through, so you know, they had, remember, they had a shipwreck, and now they've landed on this island. And when they had been brought safely through, some of them couldn't swim, and they were helped to get to the island. Then we found out that the island was called Malta, or sometimes Malita. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness. If you've got a little map in the back of your Bible, you can find this. Uh, it's just to the south of Sicily. Uh, the natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and came out of the fire and fastened itself, it bit him on his hand, on his arm. It doesn't have to be hand. The Greek can mean the hand or the, or the arm. It bit him on the arm. Okay. Uh, and when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Uh, remember that there were four groups of people on that, that ship, and uh, one of those groups were prisoners accused of capital crimes. These were very serious criminals. And they say, undoubtedly, he must be the worst of them all. He is a murderer. Now, I want to point something out to you. Paul hears them say that, okay? And Paul has memory, just like we have memory. And do you know that Paul actually was a murderer? And he says, I'm the least of the apostles because I murdered the Christians. And it would have been a perfect opportunity for Satan to latch on to Paul's brain, to latch on to his mind, just like this viper had latched onto his arm, and for Paul to say in his own mind, you know, I'm probably getting what I deserve. You know how that works? <laughs> when you're in church, everything's awesome, and then something happens during the week, and that little voice comes, you're just getting what you deserve anyway. And, and we forget about the grace and the mercy of God. So it latches on, they say these words, uh, that undoubtedly he's a murderer, though he's been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However... 
He shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. It's a very, very serious disease. And Paul went in to see him. He would have died from that. And Paul went in to see him. And after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. I love how sometimes in the scripture it says the Lord healed him. And sometimes it says Paul healed him or Peter healed him. And we see that the Lord is working in us to such a point that the Lord's not ashamed to be identified with us. Think about that. It just says Paul healed him. Well, we know Paul didn't do it. The Lord did it, but he did it. The Lord so identifies with Paul and is working through Paul that it says Paul healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. At the end of three months, so they were there for three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we sailed around and arrived at Regium. All this is in Italy. And a day later, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putioli. Any Italians know how to pronounce it? I don't know. There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Okay, so that's the end of part one. Next, we're going to look at part two, because in this last chapter, there is a contrast that's drawn in what's written between these groups of people we've just read about and the Jews who live in Rome. And if you've been following carefully in the book of Acts, this has been happening throughout the entire time since Peter went to the house of Cornelius. And throughout the book of Acts, we see in every place that the gospel comes to the Jews first, and they reject it, and then it goes to the Gentiles. And so this is summed up here in chapter 28. But before we get to the Jews in Rome, let's talk about these pagans of Malta, talk about Publius and these Italian Christians. Because there's things that um, uh, uh, unify each one of these groups, things that, are co that they have in common with each other. So let's begin talking about the pagans of Malta. So Malta, as I said, is an island south of Sicily. At this time, it's being ruled by Rome and has been for a couple of hundred years. But it's inhabited by what the Bible calls natives. Now, you might have a different translation, but mine says natives here. In the Greek, this is the word barbarians. It's inhabited by barbarians. But the word barbarian, immediately in my, my mind, I see Conan the Barbarian, the comic book, and then Schwarzenegger also. But that's not what the word barbarian means. The word barbarian is someone that speaks in a barbarous tongue, a tongue that you can't understand. It comes from these sounds of bar, 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 same as Babel, 
okay? So these are people that speak in a non-Latin or non-Greek tongue, and so the New American Standard is very nice to call them natives, but the literal Greek translation would be the barbarians. They're non-Greek speaking natives of this island. But these natives have adopted the culture and the gods uh, of Rome. And Rome had adopted, of course, the culture and the gods uh, of Greece. In verse 4, when they make this statement about Paul, it says, though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And when they say saved from the sea, you could actually capitalize the word sea there in English because they're talking about a god that they worship, okay? They, he has been saved from Neptune. He has been saved from Poseidon, whatever they're going to call him. They've been, he has been saved from the sea, but justice, and this is the Greek word diki, uh, justice should be capitalized also because that's actually the name. We, we have this false god on all our court buildings all over the United States. She's, you know, blind. She's got a blind on. She's holding scales. This was a Greek god whose name is Justice. And they're not just saying justice in some, uh, you know, uh, abstract form. They're talking about the god of justice has not allowed him to live. You know, justice has been served. Uh, we used to play ping pong, my brother and I, all the time. We had this ping pong table in our garage and we just played ping pong and it was it was it was a blood sport for us you know it was it was war you know and and it was all you know we had all these different sayings that we would say you know and I can remember and recall them to this day I won't go into them all right now but one of them was justice has been served and that was when you know there was some argument about the, the, you know, did it land in or out or whatever happened? And then it would be like, let's have a playoff and whoever wins this, that means that he was right, you know, and, and whenever you were right, you say justice has been served, you know, and, and, you know, that, that's the meaning of what they're saying here. He may have got away from the God of the sea, but justice would not allow him to live. And so this viper is attached to his arm. So we don't know what this viper is. I don't know the species of this snake or something like that. But we know that it has deadly poison. Because in their mind, he's supposed to die. And so it attaches to his arm, and he shakes it off over the fire. And it falls back into the fire. And then they just sit there, and they wait. And it says they waited a long time. That, by the way, reminds me, I don't know if I should even say this, but I can't help myself. It reminds me of a, a joke I always loved in, in Russian, okay? And in this joke, so there's these people, and they, they I'm sorry, but, you know, these things aren't always proper. They, they live in an insane asylum, and um, so the, uh, in, in Russia, they always had these basic colors of paint, and that was it back in the old days. And so the, uh, uh, they, the, they, they, they keep running away. And so the, the administration of the insane asylum builds a fence, and they paint the fence red, and they come back to work the next day, and the fence is gone. And they don't know what happened. So they build the fence again, and they, it's a long joke, but I'm telling it short. They, paint, they build the fence again, and they, they paint it yellow, because that was the only paint they had left. And they come back again, and the fence is gone the next day. So they build the fence a last time, and they paint it green this time, because that's the color of paint they have. And when they come back to work the next day, uh, all the patients are sitting there on the lawn. And they've been sitting there all night, and they're just like sitting there just looking. And the fence is still there. And they say, what are you doing? Oh, we're just waiting for it to ripen. Okay. So I know, that's a bad joke. But I always thought that joke was funny. But, so there, that, that makes me think of that. They're just sitting there, 
And they're just staring at Paul. I mean, try to imagine this. They're just staring at him. They're waiting for, for him to die. And then he doesn't die. And finally one of them says, man, like three hours has gone by and he's not even dead. He seems in perfect health. And so they say, well, then he must be a god. And they decide that he's a god. So these are real barbarians. These are real pagans. These are not people who you would think are open to receive the gospel. But I want you to notice something about them. This is very interesting. It says that these barbarians, they show extraordinary kindness to Paul, to the Christians. They show extraordinary kindness. And it doesn't say they did this after they found out that he's a god, which he's not. It doesn't say that they began to think he's a god and so they began to show kindness to him. No, when they first arrived, they showed extraordinary kindness to Paul. And when the Bible says it was extraordinary, uh, the literal Greek word here means that it was unusual. It's not something that people normally do. This is hospitality to the highest degree. Okay, Remember, we've been talking about this. How they treat the church. How they receive the Christians. Remember, Jesus said that if someone gives a cup of cold water because you are a Christian, because you are a follower of Christ, that they shall not lose their reward. Now, they build a warm fire for them. But in a different time and in a different place, that's the same thing as a cup of cold water. Because they're freezing cold, they build a warm fire for them. Because they've just come out of the sea, they build a warm fire for them. And it may not seem like that's a really big deal to collect a bunch of wood together, build a warm fire, and put, put a picnic out there for people. But if you've been not eating for two weeks, and you just got out of a shipwreck and just came out of the freezing cold sea, that's the best thing you could have, right? And so they show extraordinary kindness to them. And we will see in this scripture that they shall not lose their reward. So what does Paul do? Paul is living by faith, and he does exactly what Jesus said believers in him would do. If you go back over to Mark uh, chapter 16, you read, and you know the scripture, but let's read it. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So that's what Paul is going to do here in Malta. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will, these are the things that have been happening in the book of Acts. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So what Jesus said to do is exactly what Paul does. You don't need to invent some new pattern for evangelism. You don't need to have a whole lot of money to put on an evangelistic campaign. They have an awesome healing revival that lasts for three months on this island. Did you notice that? Three months, a healing revival. And it all starts because Paul has just got you know, his antennae uh, spiritual up. His heart is open to listen to the Lord. And he finds out that this, this man, Ju uh, uh, Publius, that his dad has dysentery, an incurable disease. Okay? And the Holy Spirit says, go lay hands on him. So he just does, you know, I don't even know if he had a special prophetic word about that. He just knows that he's going to do what Jesus said to do. So he goes and he lays hands on this man and he's healed and revival breaks out. And people come from all over the island to be healed. 
So they have a healing revival where people are getting saved. They're getting healed. They're getting delivered. That demons are being cast out. Incurable diseases are going away. And it lasts for three months they're on this island. But I want you to understand what it starts with. It starts, it begins with extraordinary kindness. There is a power in hospitality. There is a power when we receive the people that God has sent to us. These natives, they could have killed them for landing on their island. They could have done something else. I don't know. They could have just ignored them. But they didn't. They brought from their homes what they had, and they shared their fuel, and they shared their food with these Christians that came to their island. I want you to notice that this is especially turned toward the Christians because uh, it says... Uh, um, the natives showed us extraordinary kindness. Remember, this is being written by Luke. Now, I don't know, you know, of course, the, the, the Roman soldiers, the sailors, everybody got in on this. But this, this group of, uh, of, of everybody that was on the ship, this is already Paul's little church, okay? Because they've actually all been saved. So their hearts are all open to the Lord. We talked about Julius last week, that... Uh, Traditionally, and, and we can understand this from the scripture, that he truly became a Christian and, and gave his heart to, to, to the Lord. And that's why his name is included in this story. Publius, this guy who's on the island here. Uh, he's the wealthiest man on the island. And uh, he's actually the Roman who's in charge uh, of this island. And, you know, Paul would not have had an open door to Publius except that the natives... Uh, when they decided that Paul must be a god, and then it doesn't tell us what happened later after that, but uh, if we put that together with other scriptures in Acts, we can, it doesn't have to write it again, because we know what Paul did. Paul said, no, I'm not a god, and preached Jesus to them. And I believe that their hearts opened up to the Lord. And so they took Paul to Publius and said, hey, Publius, you need to meet this guy. And Publius lives there, and he's got a lot of land. And he's got some really nice houses. And he's very wealthy. He's very well taken care of. And then Publius shows, uh, you know, extraordinary kindness to the Christians. And that's unusual. So you've got the natives doing it, but then you also have the wealthiest man on the island. He throws the doors of his house open. They feast at his house for three days. And remember, there's over 200 of these people. And he receives them all into his house. You know, he puts them up, gives them bedding, you know, feeds them, and they just have a feast in his house for three days. It says he entertained us courteously. That's a nice way of saying they had a big party at Publius's house. And this was just awesome. You know, but Paul, he doesn't, you know, uh, the Bible says when you eat at the house of a king, you should put a knife to your throat. You know, don't eat too much. Keep your, you know, your feelers up. Keep your heart open. Understand what's really going on. Don't get taken in by all the wealth and all the show. And so Paul's heart is open, and he, he's trying to find an opportunity to preach the gospel, and he find, finds out that Publius's dad is very sick and that he's, he's sick unto death. So Publius is powerful. He's wealthy like no one else on the island. He welcomes the Christians. He entertains them courteously for three days. Paul prays for his dad. Healing revival breaks out. History tells us that this Publius, he actually is known later in history as Saint Publius. And Publius received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And Publius became a great leader in the early church, according to history. 
and he died a martyr's death. He laid, laid down his life for the sake of the gospel. But it all began again with this extraordinary kindness, with this courteous entertaining, with opening your heart to what God is doing. And these people, they open their heart to what God is doing. So three months goes by, they have this big healing revival. Uh, I just imagine that everybody's getting saved. A church, history tells us that a church was definitely founded at that time on uh, this island. And then as they're getting ready to leave, it says that they were honored by all the citizens. So they actually had a ceremony for Paul and for his team. Paul has gone from being the lowliest person on the ship to being the the, best, the, the high, most honored person on the ship. And, and everybody's honoring Paul. So they honor him. They honor the, the Christians. They have a, a ceremony. I imagine they gave him little you know, medals to wear or put, put uh, what do they call those in Hawaii, leyes on their necks or something. You know, They just blessed them and honored them. And it says literally that they loaded them down. That's the literal Greek. They loaded them down with financial and physical blessings. They loaded them down as they put them on that ship. Paul had so much money that we'll see at the end of this story that he could rent his own house in Rome, which had to be the most expensive housing anywhere in the empire. He could rent his own house that he lived in for two years. Okay, So he got blessed. He really got blessed on this island. God took care of him because of the extraordinary kindness of these people. I want you to understand that faith, real faith, is manifested in extraordinary hospitality. When we open our hearts to receive what God has for us in our lives. So then it says they get on this ship. Luke points out that the ship has a figurehead on it. And the figurehead is the twin brothers. The twin brothers are Castor and Pollux, and they are in mythology the sons, the twin sons of Zeus. Why is Luke pointing this stuff out? Because these are Jewish folks, okay? And they haven't been to exotic Rome yet. Paul has actually never been to Rome yet. And so they get on this exotic Greek pagan cruise ship. You know, I mean, you can just try to imagine what it must have been like. I remember one time we took this uh, cruise ship, uh, just a simple Viking cruise thing. It was a ferry, really, really, over from Finland over to Germany. And I remember I got on that ship, and I thought, man, I better bring some snacks or something, because I'm going to need something to eat on this ship. Well, it turned out you didn't need to. Included in the price was all you could eat and all you could drink. And most of those people on that ship were pretty drunk by the time they got to Germany. <laughs> and, and, well, you know, I can just imagine what this ship must have been like for them. You know, he said the figurehead was these Greek gods and everything. You know, it was exotic. It was exotic to them. So they're really not in the Jewish world anymore. Do you understand? They're out there amongst the Gentiles. And they're finding out. It's, it's like this is summing up for us this message we see in the book of Acts. That the Gentiles' hearts are open to receive the gospel. You know, you've got to get out away from just the religious people and find the people whose hearts are really open to receive the gospel. Because they are out there. They're just waiting for you to shipwreck on their island. They will show you extraordinary kindness and open their hearts. I have experienced this in my life many, many times when people I absolutely did not expect have just shown, <clears throat> even on this little trip, I talked about this Italian guy uh, that just started talking, God just gives you favor with people. 
You know, and you, you don't even know why. All of a sudden, everybody wants to talk to you, and they want to bless you, and they want to be a part of your life. You know why? Because that shows that their hearts are, you can follow that. You know, it's like a GPS. You can see this person's heart is open to the gospel. And I better not go away from here without sharing the love of Jesus with this person. Because his heart is open. Otherwise, he wouldn't be showing this extraordinary kindness. And then they land in Italy. And this, this is really cool, because now they meet with the, the Italian Christians. Remember, Paul has never met these Christians yet. Uh, we, we read about uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They came from these Christians. You know, people have gone back and forth, and Paul knows all these people. And he's already written the epistle to the Romans. But in his epistle to the Romans, he tells them, I want to come see you. I've never been there before. So Paul's never been to Rome before. But as soon as he lands, he's so... Just think what a blessing this is to Paul. It turns out everybody's already heard of him. They've all read his epistle. And they're waiting for him. They're actually waiting for Paul to show up there. And so when he lands there, the Italian Christians, they receive Paul so well that it says here in verse 15... That Paul saw, when he saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. I want to tell you that even someone like the Apostle Paul needs to be encouraged. And there's nothing that encourages a person like being received well, like extraordinary kindness and hospitality. When he arrived there, it says that they came from the market or the forum of Appius and from the three inns to meet him. Do you know how far away those places are from Rome? Well, in my commentary, it says that Appius is 43 miles from Rome. Remember, you're not driving a car, you're traveling by foot. That's a good, hard two days journey. Two, three, maybe four days journey for these people. And the three inns is 33 miles from Rome. And so what's being pointed out to us is that the Christians came from all around and they used their vacation time and they used their money and they did everything they could, not because some, there was some big Christian conference going on in Rome, just because Paul finally showed up and they've been waiting for him. Can you imagine how much that encouraged Paul and how good that made him feel and how it gave him strength to know that he can face the days that are coming? Because in the days that are coming, he knows at some point, and it doesn't even happen in Acts, like I said, it gets cut off, but at some point, he will stand before Nero, and at some point, Nero will put him to death. He needs courage for that. Like Jesus, when he was going to the cross, he took Peter and, and, and James and John, and he took them into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, stay here and pray, and I'm going to go over there and pray, and let's pray together. And then when he came back, they're sound asleep. And he said, wake up! and pray with me. Could you not pray with me for one hour? And he went away and prayed again. And when he came back, they were sound asleep again. And then he just left them to sleep. It was very discouraging for Jesus. And as he cried out in the garden, you know, it says that his, his sweat became like, like drops of blood. And it said that angels came to minister him. And, and we forget that Jesus, yes, he is God, but he is human. And he's there in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's abandoned by all of his friends. And even the ones that are with him, they've fallen asleep. They can't even pray with him at his most dire hour of need. It's just Jesus and the Father. 
So Paul needed that encouragement. And I know, I think Paul, like Jesus, would have made it through without it. But how much better when you have the encouragement, when you have the people staying with you. So it brought great courage to Paul. Now let's look at verse 17, and we want to contrast that with what we've just read and talked about. It says in verse 17, After three days Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you. For I am wearing this chain, so he's still in chains. I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel, the resurrection. We've talked about that. When he says the hope of Israel, he's talking about the resurrection from the dead through Christ Jesus. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known, the word sect in the, in the Greek is heresy, uh, it is known to us, they're talking about the church, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. Everyone hates the church and everybody's speaking against it. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. Notice that. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law and Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others, they just would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And here's what he said. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return. And I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. I'll get to verse 30 in just a few minutes. So this is to be contrasted with the groups of people we already looked at. I don't know about you. Actually, I think I do know about you. But I would rather, it'd be great to be an Italian Christian. Yeah, that'd been great. Really nice to be Publius and be so rich and have all those lands and have Jesus. You know, but I would rather be numbered among the poorest of the natives of Malta than amongst these wealthiest and most powerful of the Jews. Because even the poor natives of Malta know how to receive Jesus when Jesus shows up. They don't even have a problem with a man being a god. They look at Paul and say he's a god. And I know that's pagan and that's weird and that's wrong, but think about it. Theologically, it means they're ready to accept the truth of Jesus being both God and man. God in the flesh. They're ready to accept that. 
Their hearts are open to the gospel. The Jews who should have known and do know, they reject the gospel because it says their hearts have become dull. The word dull means in the Greek, dull. <laughs> and do you know what a dull knife is? It's a knife that's worthless. Their hearts have become completely dull. A heart can be sharp or a heart can be dull. And when it's dull, it does not know how to divide, rightly divide the truth and understand the truth. Do you remember the sailors on the ship last week when we looked at the shipwreck? It said because it had been so, the storm was so strong that they had gone for days without seeing the stars or the sun. And what happened to them? Great confusion came upon them and great panic. Not because they're in the dark or because they're claustrophobic, but because if you can't see the stars or the sun, you don't know where you are. As a nation, we have lost our orientation. That's why there's such a problem with people understanding even their natural-born orientation today. People are lost and they don't know where they are. The natives of Malta knew better than the Jews of Rome. Paul had already written the epistle to the Romans. And in chapters 9 through 11, chapters 9, 10, and 11, if you read those, you'll see that he lays out what I would call his magnum opus on the rejection of the Jews and their ultimate salvation. And to sum it up, he says that the Jews are being rejected so that the Gentiles can be brought in, but the Gentiles should not get puffed up with pride about that because God is going then to make the Jews jealous with the Gentiles and bring the Jews back in so that everyone gets saved in the end. And when we go to Romans, look with me at Romans chapter 9. And I'm going to read a few verses from there. In Romans chapter 9, and in verse 1, uh, I'll read verses 1 through 8. He says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are the seed of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's seed. But through Isaac, your seed will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as the seed. Abraham was saved by faith. Abraham was not a Jew. He was a Babylonian. But he became a Hebrew by faith. And a nation was born by faith. And so Paul is saying that the real Israel is the Israel by faith. And if you keep reading throughout these chapters, he's going to say to us that you are a part of this, this olive tree also. You Gentiles, you natives of Malta, you rich people on the island of Malta, you Romans, you whatever you are. You're a part of this one family of God, the olive tree. 
You've been grafted into this olive tree. But please don't get proud about this because God's bringing the Jews back in also. And he says, you know, there are children of the promises. So this explains what's happening in the book of Acts really well. Because we keep reading in the book of Acts that Paul goes to a place and then he says, I'm leaving you Jews. I shake the dust off of my feet. I'll never preach the gospel to you Jews again. I'm going to the Gentiles, right? And then every time he goes to a new town, he ends up going to the Jews again. And it seems to not make a whole lot of sense. Well, first of all, we understand that when he shakes the dust of his feet off, he's doing that positionally. He's not saying that God's rejected all the Jews everywhere. If he was going to say that, he would have to say, I'm rejected because Paul is a Jew. Peter is a Jew, right? He's saying in this city, in this place, you are now rejected because you rejected him. He's rejected you. Remember, and I could preach sermons on this, but just as a principle, as an axiom to know and understand, God always has the last word. And if you reject God, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, it's going to be written, God rejected you. And that sounds harsh, but you're the one that rejected him. You hardened your heart, but at the end of the day, it's going to say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But it begins with Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But at the end of the day, God has the last word. Okay? It's not going to, we, we like to preach, you know, nobody, God doesn't send anybody to hell. Uh, people that go to hell, it's because they've rejected Christ. And that's a good thing to say, kind of, sort of. But at the end of the day, no, actually, God sends them to hell when you read in the book of Revelation. Because they rejected him, he rejects you. But if you draw near to God, and I think if you just take one tiny step to God, it says that he's going to come running to you. He will draw near unto you. If you can just build a little fire, put out a little picnic, that's enough for God to bring healing into your home, into your community, into your city. They had healing revival for three months just because they welcomed the Christians that landed on their, their beach. They welcomed them, and that opened the door for Christ. But these Jews, they do not welcome them. So Paul is searching everywhere he goes to find the children of the promise. So when he goes to a new city, he meets with the Jews first. And he meets with these Jews first. He calls them, he actually meets the, the Italians first, but not by his own desire. They just come running to him. When he plans something, he plans to meet the Jews first. Because he wants to find, are there any children of promise? Are there any Jews whose hearts are open to the Lord? For the sake of their salvation, mark the words of Paul here. This is deep. This has baffled me <laughs> since I first read this when I was a kid. He says, I'm not lying about this. I swear to you this is the truth. That if I could, I would go to hell so that all my Jewish brethren would go to heaven. He says, I would choose to be cursed and cut off from Christ if that would save all of my brethren. But you know who this is? This is Jesus speaking through him. Because this is what Jesus did on the cross. He took the curse on himself and he was cut off from the Father so that we might be saved. I've read that. That's challenged me for years. I don't know that I could ever feel that. I don't, I don't honestly know that I could ever feel that I would rather go to hell if that would somehow get other people to go to heaven. But I want to be able to feel the depths of Christ's love for this world. That I, would, I so want people to be saved that I would even, if I could. He says if I could, because he couldn't do that. We couldn't do that. We can't die for the sins of other people. Only Jesus can do that. But if I could, I would die for their sin. 
We have a lot of room to grow in our love for the people of this world. And Paul has that kind of love for them. So he calls these Jews to himself. There's some interesting things in this story. We've already seen in the book of Acts things that you have to read into it. We've already seen in the book of Acts that Paul is infamous among the Jews. All the Jews know Paul everywhere. Okay? And they hate him. I'm talking about the Jewish leader, leaders, not all the Jewish people, uh, because many, many of these Christians are Jewish people. Um, but the Jewish leaders, they hate him. He's known throughout the world. And yet when he speaks to them here in Acts, they say to him, well, we haven't heard anything about this. Remember? They, they, they say, uh, you know, that we haven't gotten any letters from Jerusalem about this, and no Jews have come to tell us about this, even though... Months have passed. Remember, they got in a storm, they got in a shipwreck, they got delayed on Malta for three months. Do you really think that nobody from Jerusalem sent letters to Rome? I mean, remember, they had a plot to assassinate Paul in Jerusalem. I guarantee you they sent letters to Rome and said, when you find him, you kill him. Don't let him get uh, before Caesar. When you find him, you wipe him out. But they say that they've never even heard of him. They say they didn't hear anything about what happened in Jerusalem. Even though Caesar already knows about it, the leading Jews in Rome say that they don't know anything about it. Well, I say that that's a complete lie. That the reason why they're saying this to him is it's a ploy to try to trick Paul into incriminating himself in Rome before all the Jews. Notice that they say, let's set a date and then we'll meet with you again. And when they set this date, it says that a great number, a huge crowd of the Jewish leaders came. All the most important Jewish men in the community, they came to hear what Paul had to say. And they did not come to listen. They came to trap him. Because it says that some of them listened and believed what he was saying, but most of them did not. But even the ones that did believe, they could not make a decision for Christ, could they? They said, well, we have to go away and talk with everyone and make a compromise here. The majority has to rule in our community. They could not turn their back on their community in order to follow Christ. And I want you to know that you'll never really follow Christ until you turn your back on the world and take up your cross and follow him. You'll never be popular in the world if you're truly following Christ. You, 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 Jesus said that you have to leave your father, you have to leave your mother, you have to leave your sisters, your brothers, your children, your husbands, your wives, and that doesn't mean you get divorced to follow Jesus. Okay, I can show you plenty of scriptures on that doesn't mean that. And in fact, by your faith, you can lead your unbelieving husband or wife to the Lord. But what it does mean is that you don't put anybody before Jesus. They had the opportunity on this day, just like Felix did, just like Festus did, just like uh, 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 Herod Agrippa did. They had this opportunity on this day to receive Jesus Christ. And just like those people did, they rejected Jesus. Do you know that it's possible to believe what the preacher is saying and not receive it into your heart? It's possible to walk away from the word of God, and I'm not saying just here on Sunday morning, but walk away from God's word and say, mentally, I agree with that. That's true. I know that's true. But 
<laughs> that's just a little too much. So I'm not ready to follow that. I'm not ready to receive that. I'm not ready to accept that. And it would have been just as well and probably better for you to have said, I don't believe that and I think that's a lie. Because at least then you would still be fighting with God. But now you've agreed that this is true and just told God, I'm not going to do it. Now what's worse? Wouldn't you rather have your kids say to you that they don't agree with it, I'm not going to do it, I hate this, and you can still argue it out and explain it to them, than to have them say, oh yeah, mommy and daddy, I'll sure be happy to do that, and I totally agree with that, and then you go away and come back and find out they didn't do anything. Right? Because they're just lying then. So you're just lying when you say that you believe the word of God, but you're not doing it. And these, these Jewish leaders, they are lying to God. And so Paul says something you wouldn't expect him to say. Like if you were reading the book of Acts for the very first time and you came to the end of the whole book, you've read this whole book, and then it says, uh, when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. You probably thought that parting word was going to be like, well, I'm going to pray for you, brothers. I'm going to really pray that you'll accept Jesus. You know, I've come all the way here to Rome. I'm, I'll be living right here. You can come visit me. We can talk some more about this. But he doesn't. So I, think, I think sometimes we're just too soft on people. And I'm not saying we just have to be hard, but we have to speak the truth with love. You know, how is it helping people just to say, well, I'll just pray for you? Isn't it the same as what James said? That somebody comes to you and they're physically hungry and they need food? or clothing, and you say, oh, be warmed and be fed, may God bless you, and you send them away, but you don't give them what they needed. So aren't we doing the same thing spiritually when we are just afraid to confront people and we have that opportunity? Confront them, but confront them in love, but confront them. And, and, and we say to them, oh, God bless you, I'll just be praying for you, but we never gave them the word they needed. You know what these Jews needed to hear that day? They needed to hear that, that uh, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. People in America need to hear this today, because people in America will say, oh yeah, we want to come together, and we want to come to church, and we want to hear the word of God, and we really believe in that, pastor. Oh yeah, that's great, pastor, and everything, but then they don't ever do it. You know, it's possible to be dull of hearing, and it doesn't mean you don't go to church. It just means you don't get anything out of it because you're a hearer of the Word of God, but you're not a doer of the Word of God. And if we don't do the Word of God, then if we don't put action in it, then we're not in the book of Acts because the book of Acts is about action. It's not about just hearing the Word. It's about doing the Word that we hear. So the Word they needed to hear that day, the spanking that they needed to get, they got and they got spanked hard by Paul. And there's coming a day very soon when the entire Jewish community of Rome is going to be persecuted very strongly, as will the Christians. And they'll find out on that day that they're not special just because they're called Jew. That the Romans hate everything that has anything to do with God and with Jesus Christ. And they will persecute the Jews just like they persecute the Christians. There'll come a day when people in America will wake up and realize that we're not just special just because we're called Americans. That in fact, if God's not punishing us or dealing with us, maybe it's because he's saving up something really bad that's coming. And wouldn't it be better for us to be punished today and to repent before God? Because the revival will never come without repentance unless people turn their hearts back to God. So the Jews, they were feeling themselves really special on that day. 
And so, and so they start debating about this. Uh, you know, some of them agree, some of them di disagree, but, but democracy and majority rule or just plain peer pressure, whatever it is, nobody can make a decision to take up his cross and follow Jesus. So it doesn't matter why it is. What matters is in the end result, the Jews departed. It says that. The saddest words at the end of the book of Acts, the Jews departed. Like Felix, they put Jesus off until they could re reach some collective popular decision. Like Festus, they rejected Jesus in favor of some happy compromise for their community. And like Agrippa, they could not bear to have the ugliness of their dull hearts, their deaf ears, and their blind eyes revealed. For them, on that day, it was better to save face and die in their sin than to be humbled and healed. And let me ask you today, what's better? To be humbled, even to be spanked by God, but to be healed, or to save face and die in your sin? I would rather be with those natives of Malta. I would rather be with the humbled. Because the salvation is what it's all about uh, in the end. Just a few years are going to go by. Can you imagine? From this point in this story, literally less than 10 years. Think about what was 10 years ago. I mean, Tanya and I were just in awe, in shock. I can't believe we've been married for 17 years. It feels like it was just yesterday, and it does. You know, but time just flies by so fast. In just 9 to 10 years, Jerusalem will be utterly wiped out burned to ashes. The temple will be completely destroyed and the entire world of these Jewish leaders will be destroyed and they'll be scattered to the nations for 2,000 years. But they don't know that today. Today, they think everything will just continue the way it is. And God is bringing them salvation, but they reject it. So, Let's read verse 30 and 31. We'll end with this. This is the epilogue of the book of, of, of Acts. Epilogue being the extra chapter at the end. It says, And he, Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. I told you he was rich. And was welcoming all who came to him. Sometimes Paul was poor. Sometimes he was rich. He always had what he needed. He was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. I want you just to see in this little epilogue the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Paul is a prisoner. He's a Roman prisoner. He's in chains. I think that's in quotation marks already. The chains are off of him physically, but he can't leave the house. He's under house arrest. But they say, you're under house arrest, Paul. And Paul goes, awesome. I've got a whole bunch of money. Is there a villa I can rent here? So I don't, I don't know what he puts like. I'm just imagining him with this really cool villa you know, up on the hills in a swimming pool or something, and he's under house arrest on vacation in Rome. I mean, God is so blessed. He knows he's going to die pretty soon, but along the way, he's enjoying his life. You know? He's preparing his heart. And he can't go out and preach to people, but people are flocking to his house. He's having Bible studies there. You know, people come over, and it says, now he receives everyone that comes to his house. And everyone that comes to his house, he preaches uh, it says the kingdom of God, and he teaches concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's got a Bible school in that villa. 
He's got a Bible school in that house going on. He's teaching everybody that wants to come. And the, the best words are at the end. And he says he's doing this with all openness. The Greek for openness means freedom of speech and unhindered. His speech is completely free and completely unhindered. There is a freedom that we have in Christ Jesus that nobody can take away from us. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Over and over again throughout the story of Paul, we've seen that he's been met with circumstances where he could have become subject to a yoke of slavery. On that island, just today, in this, in this when that viper bit him on the arm, he could have allowed himself to become subject to a yoke of slavery. He could have allowed himself to say, I'm going to die! Does anybody have an antidote? And they was, justice has been served, you murderer. And he could have said, yes, I was a murderer. That's true, God. Okay, just take me. I'm ready to die. And just given up. I'm so depressed. Oh, I'm so depressed. But depression's a sin. Sorry, I don't want to offend you. But you know, to be depressed is a sin when the Bible says to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so when you start feeling depressed, fight against that because that's not from God. God wants to bring you into a place of joy. Get yourself into a place of joy. Put your roots down deeper, you vines. You know, and start drinking the water of the word of God that he has for us and let that, that fruit be born, that it's good fruit because nobody can take your freedom away. There's a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn that I've always loved. It comes from a book that I read many, many years ago. And he says in that, and you know, he, he was in, in, in the gulag and in a uh, uh, Siberian prison for many, many years, and then he was kicked out of the Soviet Union and sent to America, which was exile for him. He didn't want to live in America. He ended up his life by being able to go back to Russia. But he said, we are, listen to this, we are creatures born with inner freedom of will. Freedom of choice, the real freedom, is given to us at birth. External or social freedom, everything people are talking about in America today, external or social freedom is, is desirable for the sake of gro undistorted growth. I would add, when it comes to a vine, maybe it's not so desirable because it's going to grow better without that. But, he said, it's desirable, but it is no more than a condition. It's just a medium. And, is, is, and if you regard it as the object of your existence, then that's utter nonsense. Because our freedom is asserted in conditions of unfreedom. We really have true freedom when we're prisoners, when we're limited, when we're in drought, when we're under punishment. That's when we find out who we really are. Because nobody can take away your freedom. The freedoms in the Bill of Rights, they weren't written there. People think today they were written there to establish them as our rights, as if there's something that we don't already have and we deserve to get them. No, they were written as God-given rights. That These are things that we have already. We are born with these things. We're given a freedom of speech. So Paul finds this freedom of speech, this openness, this unhindered opportunity to preach the gospel, even when he's imprisoned. And that's how the book of Acts ends. Let's stand together. Father, I just thank you for this wonderful book. I thank you, Lord, for it ending as an open book, for it ending as an open story, for an ending on this high note, 
of even when Paul is in prison, he's, he's staying at a really nice resort that he can pay for himself. And he's preaching the gospel freely to everybody that shows up at his house, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would just write ourselves into that book, that we would just jump right in there, Lord, and we would just freely preach the gospel with openness, and we would seek out those children of promise. We would seek out those people on Malta or in Italy or wherever they are whose hearts are open to the gospel, and we would show extraordinary kindness to those who show extraordinary kindness to us that those who open their hearts to us, that we would pour into their hearts so they would get way more than they bargained for. That by building a little fire, they would get eternal life. By giving a cup of cold water, they would get resurrection from the dead. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to follow in the footsteps of these. We've been reading about Paul now for many, many weeks, but not just of Paul, of Peter and James and all these great heroes of faith that we've read about in the book of Acts and realize that this is the acts of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. That you have come, Holy Spirit, that we might receive this anointing from on high, that we might receive the power to be your witnesses, Jesus. Here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of this earth. I thank you for that, Lord. And we give you praise and we give you glory this morning. Let an anointing of power an anointing of the Holy Spirit, fall on the lives of our young people, fall on the lives of our children, fall on the lives of our church, Lord. Let us be as these people in the book of Acts, that we would speak with new tongues, that we would preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if vipers latch onto our arms, we'd just shake them off, and no deadly poison could harm us, that we would tread on serpents and on scorpions, and we would not fear death, because we walk with you, Jesus, and that we would take this gospel all the way, carrying our cross to every person that you send us to, Lord. I pray for that in Jesus' name, and I thank you for this book. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvinionfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.